Welcome to Hope for the Caregiver here on American Family Radio. This is Peter Rosenberger. Glad to have you along. Healthy caregivers make better caregivers, and that's what this program is all about. How do you help a caregiver get healthy, stay healthy, value healthiness? What does that mean? What are the impacts? What does that look like? That's what this program is all about. Hopeforthecaregiver.com. Hope for the caregiver.com. I want to thank you all for uh, allowing me to step away from the microphone last week. I was doing some caregiving duty. For those of you who are new to the program, I've been a caregiver now for nearly 40 years, and my wife has extensive medical needs. And we returned to Denver for the second time within a week. We fly out from Montana. It's about an hour and a half flight down there. And I implored the surgeon. I said, can we do this in video conference? And he said, no. And so I wrote a song about it. I did this on uh, social media. Uh, Let's see if I can do that for him. A little bit foggy this morning because spring has sprung in Montana. I know it's summer for the rest of the world, but up here it's just now spring. We've got a lot of rain and things are blooming. But I wrote this, uh, we're off to see the surgeon, the wonderful surgeon of bones. It's only for a consult, and we'd rather stay at home. He said he needed a face-to-face, and we must see him at his place. So once again, we get to ride a plane and be thoroughly groped by the TSA. (laughs) We're off to see the surgeon, the wonderful surgeon of both. So anyway, uh, you got to have fun where you can when you deal with these things as caregivers. And we went to this surgeon, and I'm going to talk about that probably in the next block. But before I get to that, I got to just tell y'all something. This just flies all over me. All right, now here's how we get through the airport. I don't know how you do it, but here's how we do it. Gracie's in her wheelchair. And I, when we're doing just a one-night trip or even a two-night trip, I'm very tight on packing because it's a lot to carry luggage and push a wheelchair. I don't know if you've ever tried it or not. And it also adds a lot of time and so forth. So I've done the Herculean task the unimaginable of getting my wife to consolidate when it comes to packing. Normally, she would prefer to have a couple of Sherpas with her, uh, of which I am their chief. But to her credit, she has really tightened this up so we can take just a carry-on bag, her purse, and maybe a small bag that fits on top of the carry-on, the roller bag, okay? That's the max we travel with for for a one-night or two-night stay which is pretty good. I tell Gracie, she's the only person I know that has a trailer hitch on her wheelchair because she likes to take a lot of stuff and it's a bit challenging, but anyway, that's how we do it. So she usually carries her purse and her crutches. I will double pack the roller bag and I will hold her hand and we'll go through the airport. Now, sometimes I'll push her wheelchair one-handed and I could do that usually it's pretty but I grab her hair when I do it I don't mean to but she has this beautiful long lustrous hair and every now and then I'll grab it and and make no mistake she will let me know that I just grabbed her hair Uh, in fact people all over the concourse can hear that I grabbed her hair it's it's quite exciting so anyway I try to be very careful with that and when I push her I usually hold her hand and I'll, and she'll just hold on to me tight. And then I'll, we'll just go through the airport and she'll just roll along beside me. And when there's not carpet on the airport concourse, then, then it's 
pretty easy because those, you know, those marble floors make it almost effortless to pull the wheelchair. Now, here's the problem. It takes a good bit of inertia to get a good clip going. So I'm not dragging the wheelchair, but it's going and it's moving along. And so we're walking, you know, at a nice pace. Have you ever noticed how many people just walk around cluelessly in the airport? And I'm okay with that. I mean, feel free. I mean, you know, that's it's free country. But try to move a little bit out of the line of traffic. You know, if you're going to sit there and have a conversation, don't do it in the middle of the concourse where people are moving back and forth. And I can't stop on a dime with Gracie and... I get so frustrated, and I've told Gracie, why don't you just hold one of your crutches out there? Well, harpoon. No, I'm just kidding. She's not going to do that. But then, then you got people that are walking around texting while they're walking in an airport. Have you have you encountered this phenomenon of people who are just ambling around looking at their phones? And I do confess that I have on occasion barked. And said, heads up, because we're about ready to have a collision. And they're just sitting there texting in the middle of the concourse, just aimlessly walking around. And I'm like, oh, how do these people function in life? I'm curious if any of you all have had the same frustrations of people who lack situational awareness. And that's something I want to hammer in on this particular block as caregivers, do you feel like you have enhanced situational awareness? I mean, is that something that you feel like you have developed that you can look at now that I didn't used to be this way, but I am now? Because like when I go into a room, I immediately see where the exits are. I can read the room. I, I know where chairs and tables and all that kind of stuff is. I mean, how it's all laid out. I can see people in my peripheral. And I don't know, I did martial arts training. I'm a second degree black belt. I don't know if y'all know that or not. Some of you may know that. You've heard of Shogun? Well, I'm Shonuff. Oh, I'm just kidding. But I, no, I do have a second degree black belt. And part of that is learning to read things quickly. But I don't know if that's martial arts, if that's caregiving, if that's all of the above, if that's just life. But I am noticing as I get older that a lot of people don't have that. They are not aware of what's going on around them. And I know that when we get into unfamiliar places, yeah, we can get disoriented. And I, I get that. I, I'm i a little bit obsessive on that regards because I will case out joints first <laughs> before I bring Gracie to them. I will, I will learn the lay of the land as best as I can before I ever bring her into a situation. Just simply because I don't like being lost with her and at a disadvantage where I don't know where I'm going. So I will study the maps and layouts and look at the things and pay attention and all those kinds of stuff. I'm, I'm her advanced team, if you will. And, and I kind of do that even when I'm by myself. But I don't remember a time when that started happening. I think that's just evolved over time as a caregiver because I'm dealing with logistics so much. And I'm just curious to see whether or not that's something that you do. That happens with you when you are out with people or in, in a room. There's just always this situational awareness factor with me. And I, I've told this to the church editor because Gracie took a fall on Easter Sunday. 
and I, I'm very careful with her. I, I try so hard to, to watch. I turned my back literally for 10 seconds and she fell and I, I, it was just one of those things. And I tell people at the little church where we're at here, I say, look, if she's walking, I'm working. So I'm paying attention to her to make sure she doesn't trip. Uh, her right foot is dragging just a hair, and we need to get with her prosthetist to, to change her prosthetic foot so that gives her a little bit more what they call uh, t- she could toe off of it better. But, you know, we're trying to make those adjustments on the fly. But in the meantime, if she's up on her crutches and she's walking, I am working. And if we're in a crowded place, I'm working situational awareness of how we fit in space and time and the the crowds that are not paying attention. And I mean, I look both ways at a roundabout. That's how much I trust human, human beings because I just feel like that we live in a world where people are lost in themselves and they're oblivious to what's going on around. And I think situational awareness is absolutely critical to us as family caregivers particularly when we're in crowded places, public transportation, planes, and all those kinds of things. If we're not aware, things can go awry pretty quick. I'd like to hear your thoughts. Hopeforthecaregiver.com. There's a contact form there. Let me know. I mean, maybe I'm the only one. I don't think so. This is Peter Rosenberger. This is Hope for the Caregiver. Healthy caregivers make better caregivers. Caregivers with situational awareness make better caregivers. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Hope for the Caregiver. This is Peter Rosenberger. Glad to have you with us today. Healthy caregivers make better caregivers. Hopeforthecaregiver.com. And before I move on to the next subject, I did want to say one thing. Yes, I know they have people you can call in the airport to help you get from terminal to gate and so forth. I get that. And I often do that, particularly in large airports. Uh, When we go to Minneapolis or Atlanta or places like that. When I'm going in and out of Denver, it's a lot easier if I don't because I end up having to wait on those people and we're usually on a pretty tight schedule and I often found it takes longer. Our airport that we fly out of here in Bozeman is pretty small. I can get around. We know most of the people and they're very good to help me get her up and down the jetway and I will have them push her while I, again, perform my Sherpa duties and get her all loaded up into the plane, all her stuff, and help her transfer and things like that. So I will hand her off to let somebody else push her down the jetway or push her up the jetway. I usually tell them to be careful that she's a biter, and she she gets indignant with me when I say that. But no, they they are very gracious, and they help her. So, I, yes, I know those things. When we get into certain airports, that's exactly what I do. We get the golf carts and with the horns and so we can zip through and I, I, I get that. That's what we do. So anyway, yes, I do have situational awareness for that, but I think the point is for us as caregivers, we have the responsibility for this. Otherwise we're going to get into some trouble. There are certain things we just don't do places. We avoid 
things such as that because we're having to do this for two. You know, and you, on a, on a very serious note, you've seen these protests out in the streets where they block traffic and they come up and they start beating on cars and so forth. Well, you know, we need to have situational awareness with it. I was talking to the uh, shuttle driver just taking us from the hotel to the airport just on this last trip. And some of these riders were blocking the road he related at an event that happened a while back. And they started coming towards his shuttle van with baseball bats. What do you do in a situation like that? Particularly if you have somebody who is disabled. And he was able to effectively survive that. Pretty harrowing what he said. But these are things that weigh on my mind if I'm going to someplace with Gracie to make sure that I have a way of escape with her, that I have... I know where the exits are. Do you know where the exits are? Do you know which streets you need to avoid or things such as that when you're out with your loved one? We live in a crazy world right now. I don't have this problem in Montana. The only thing that blocks my road here where we live, I mean, we live 10 miles from a paved road. So the only thing that blocks it is the cattle drives, which is fun to stop and watch. But when I lived in Nashville, I remember I was trying to get to the pharmacy before they closed. I had a prescription that I had to get for Gracie, and there was these knuckleheads out there laying down in the street to protest who knows what. And the cops made us all stop, and we had to indulge these maniacs who decided it's a good thing to go out and lay out in the middle of a busy street. It's right there, if you know Nashville at all, it's right there on Hillsborough Road in Green Hills, a very busy street. And, man, I was fit to be tied. And I looked at the cop, and I said, I got to go. Make this happen. Um, and I, I was on a deadline with this, and we were able to maneuver around them. But that's just one small example of things that can happen in this world. I'm seeing people on the news regularly being attacked in our major cities. And if you have somebody with you who has any type of impairment, you've got to think for two. And how fast are you? How capable are you of defending yourself? How capable are you of defending your loved one? Because if they take you out, then your loved one is left to their mercy. So if these people come at me, then who's going to watch after Gracie? These are things that, you know, anytime I leave our little oasis out here in Montana. I think about stuff like that. Even while I'm here in the wintertime, we have a, uh, you know, a bunch of stuff in the car that we keep emergency packs, blankets, uh, you know, heavy boots, gloves, all those kinds of things, a shovel on days when the weather's really bad. I'll keep all those things. I've got a thing. My brother-in-law gave me that helps me inflate the tires. I can charge up cell phones, whatever, but I am always aware of that kind of stuff. I don't know that I used to be as much when I started out on this thing. Of course, I was 22. I wasn't aware of a lot of things. But as I get older and I see the dangerous world that we live in, I mean, do you think that for one moment I'm going to take Gracie on a New York City subway? First off, I'm not going to New York. But think about that. I'm not going to do that. Yeah, it'll cost me more money to have taxi or car service, but, you know, that's just the way it is. But 
I'm not going to go to New York with her anytime in the near future, and I have no plans to go there myself. So there is that. But I do think the point is made that we as caregivers have that extra responsibility. What does that for you? What helps you see these things better? How have you changed in this? Do you just don't go out to certain places? I, I recommend that, by the way. There are parts of any major urban area you just don't go to. You know, you could go to certain parts of Chicago and get shot while getting shot. You know, I mean, it's you don't put yourself in these situations. But if you live there, how do you function? How do you get out? I know people who listen to this program regularly who live in neighborhoods that have gotten increasingly more dangerous. Do you protect yourself with firearms? Do you have security systems? Do you avoid going out at night or on certain days or when you know there's going to be gatherings? I I don't go to places where there's crowds. I, I just don't like to do it anymore. It's just too much work. I love concerts. And over the years, Gracie and I got to go to a lot of great concerts. But the last thing I want to do is go to an arena or a stadium full of people. It's There's just too many moving parts, and I don't want to do it, and I don't trust people. So I like living in a small town where I know all my neighbors. I remember when we lived in Nashville, and there were many times I went downtown Nashville with Gracie, wheelchair, didn't even think anything of it, but I would never do that now in Nashville. That's not the Nashville that we knew. I mean, we moved there in the early 80s. And I do not wish to in any way expose ourselves to that because logistically you get trapped and things happen and you are really in a pickle. I mean, that's just the way I look at it. Maybe I'm being too hyper vigilant about it, too hypersensitive about it. I don't think so. But situational awareness is important. It's just not worth the risk to her or to me. I don't even want to do these things when I'm not with her. I don't I don't like being around a bunch of people pressing in on you because the world has just gotten too crazy. And I'm I'm sorry, that's just the way it is. And so I'm always looking for the space. And people were asking me the other day, they were gonna come out and say, What if we come out to Montana for the summer, what should we go see? And you know, they're immediately thinking of Yellowstone. And I said, well, most of Yellowstone is in Wyoming. And if you want to be around crowds and a lot of traffic, go to Yellowstone. But if you want to see Montana, and if you want to be able to enjoy what this state offers, then I would recommend off the beaten path. There's a lot of other places. And I won't deny that Yellowstone is an absolutely spectacular place to visit. We've been down there many times, and... I try to pace it out when the tourists aren't here too much because it can get a bit crazy down there. They they have a saying out here, we call them Turons, uh, moron tourist Turons, because they get out and try to pet the buffalo and, you know, touch the water in those geysers and all the paint pots that are out there. And, uh, you know, people die every year. They get hurt every year. I mean, stupid stuff. So they call them Turons. Don't try to pet the fluffy cows. You see wildlife that you don't normally see and people want to try and approach it. Did you know, by the way, that there are more people killed every year by moose than there are by grizzlies? Look it up. And we have moose that 
frequent. I, one one morning I woke up and there were three in our yard, uh, a big bull, and then a mama with her baby. And do you know what I did? I stayed away from them. I got pictures, but I got them from a distance because you don't want to go up near a mama moose with her baby. That's called situational awareness on steroids because you don't want to do it. And they're beautiful to watch, but do it from a safe distance kind of thing. Well, you go down to Yellowstone and man, people leap out of their cars before they've even stopped and try to get a picture of a Buffalo and that Buffalo will charge. So the Turons, uh, beware, but there's a lot to see out here besides being in a crowd of people in cars like you're going through African Safari down there at Disney World. This is not Disney World. And the trees are real here. And so are the, the animals, and they will do things to you. And that's called situational awareness, being aware of your environment. Again, I'm going to just beat that drum because I've been in an airport where people are not, and it makes me a little bit nuts. I think you figured that out by now. So... We have a lot of planning to do as caregivers to make sure that our loved ones and ourselves get wherever we need to go safely. And it's on us to do it. We're having to think for two. We're having to defend for two. We're having to plan for two, at least. And so it's on us. What do you do? How do you function? What are the things that you incorporate? You know, do you need... A home security system. Think it through. Do you? If you don't already have one, do you need one? Do you need a firearm? Think it through. Are you just terrified to touch them? Or would you prefer to have the safety of knowing that you can defend yourself and your loved one if required? These are important questions to ask in this world we live in today. Law enforcement can't get there in time for many people. They're the cleanup crew. Now, I'm not recommending that you go out and do this or this or this or whatever, but if you do get one, get the training you need. Okay? Get the training. Be aware of what's going on around you. Be prepared to care in a way that maybe we didn't have to in days gone by, but we do now. Okay? Situational awareness. I kind of got off on a tangent on that. We'll get back to our regular schedule program in a moment. <laughs> this is Peter Rosenberger. So for the caregiver, we'll be right back. Welcome back to Hope for the Caregiver. This is Peter Rosenberger. Hopeforthecaregiver.com. Hopeforthecaregiver.com. Okay, I want to give you an update on something. We just got back from Denver where we met with yet another surgeon. I stopped counting on all the doctors that have treated Gracie at 100. And that's been some years ago. So we've had quite a few doctors over the years. But the purpose of this visit was to evaluate a couple of things with Gracie. And I have her permission to share this. So after I do so, we would ask for your prayers to continue. I know my buddy Carl in Texas, who loves the caregiver keyboard, which I will probably bring out today at some point, uh, prays for us regularly. And I got another uh, regular listener down in Jackson, Mississippi, who listens to this program, who also sends me notes and tells me 
words of encouragement and prayers, and, and many of you do this, and I keep all of them. So I would ask for this. Gracie has a lot of orthopedic problems. She is basically an orthopedic train wreck from this car wreck she had 40 years ago. Now, where we are today is due in no small part to the lengthy amount of time spent trying to save her legs after her car accident. In today's world, given what we know about prosthetics and everything else, most likely she would have had her legs amputated at the time of the wreck. That's how badly damaged they were. Nobody at the time wanted a 17-year-old girl to wake up and have both of her legs gone, and prosthetics were not then what they are now. But hindsight is always twenty twenty. Here we are. So we spent a lot of time trying to save her legs. She eventually gave them up, but it did its damage to her back and hips and everything else. What she developed over time and the way they fused her back back in 2002, I believe, they kind of pitched her forward a little bit. And that's just the way they did it back then. Well, what happened is her body started acclimating to that and she started leaning over more and more and her hip flexors got tighter and tighter. Those are these muscles there to help you move your leg attached at your hip. And she developed what you call flat back syndrome, which is the curve of her spine just left. And so she was bent over at about 45 degrees. We knew nine years ago or more that this surgery was coming that she had last year to straighten her back up. But there are a lot of factors when contemplating a surgery of this magnitude. And so she finally had it in Denver at the University of Colorado Medical Center. And the neurosurgeon worked on her. Great job. You've heard me talk about this a little bit on the program. And got her straightened up significantly. There's a bit of a problem, however, at the top where the fusion stopped. And they're going to need to go a little higher. It's a complication that is common to about 20% of the people who have this kind of surgery. Not unexpected for somebody as complex as Gracie, which I have it on authority from the team down there that she is at the far end of the scale when it comes to complex orthopedic trauma. And that's just the way it is. So the surgeon, the neurosurgeon needs to go back in and go a little bit higher into the thoracic area to take the pressure off the curve of where that joint is. It's called a PJK, proximal junction, I think, kyphosis. I, I studied music, so y'all be family. But the surgeon said, look, he knows exactly what to do. If he can't fix the complication, he shouldn't do the surgery, he said, which is a great policy. So, yeah, he said, we, we know what to do with this. This is not something that we're, like, freaking out over and, oh, my gosh, what are we going to do? So, okay. He said, but I want you to talk with an orthosurgeon before we go any further because I want him to look at your hip flexors, and I don't want to adjust your back without coordinating with him, and I don't want to do this first if those need to be done to release those hip flexors. Okay, this is getting a little bit technical here, but sorry for that. So we went down uh, two weeks ago to see this orthosurgeon in Denver, got an appointment to follow up with him, and 
they we had a lot of imaging done, and then he wanted to see us back in a week. So we had to return back to Denver and visit with him. And we sat down and had a, a frank conversation. He said a couple of things. One of them is that this is too unpredictable with Gracie on the hip flexor issue at this point in his judgment that he is not certain that she'll be able to move her leg forward and to walk just like you use your hip muscle to walk. Well, he's not certain she'd be able to do it. Then she'd end up being a wheelchair for the rest of her life. And he's going to talk with a neurosurgeon. He recommends going ahead with the back surgery. He said, because that's predictable. We know what that is. We know what to do about it. We know what the results will be, you know, for the most part. I mean, there's always a complication with surgery, but still, he said, this is a very predictable surgery. And we had a long conversation about it. He was very gracious. I've been around a lot of orthosurgeons. I've been around a lot of surgeons. And one of the things I found refreshing about this man is that he was very gracious to Gracie. He respected the trauma that this woman has endured for 40 years. And I've been around surgeons who are a bit arrogant and tend to be kind of... um, invested in telling you how awesome they are. You ever known folks like that? And I'm not trying to paint the industry with a broad brush. I'm really not. It's just human nature. There are some people who are very, very good at what they do, but I, I call those types Doc Hollywood types where they really want to come in and, and be large and in charge and aren't you lucky that I have walked into the room kind of thing. Been there, done that with those guys. And then there was this surgeon. Now, Gracie's at the point now where very rarely do younger doctors work on her. It takes somebody who has seen a lot of patients to approach Gracie when it comes to orthopedics anyway. There are certainly other things that she can deal with where younger surgeons and younger doctors can take a run at her, and that's fine. It's okay to bring in Dr. Doogie Hauser for that one. But when it comes to orthopedics, neurosurgery, things such as that with Gracie, vascular and all that kind of stuff, you got to have somebody with some some experience who's treated a lot of patients. And this particular surgeon was that guy. Her neurosurgeon did not want to send her to the other orthosurgeon that we'd already seen. In fact, we'd already seen two orthosurgeons down there as part of this massive group that's looking at Gracie. There was a whole team of 30 people down there that were evaluating her from all kinds of different disciplines. But this is the orthosurgeon the neurosurgeon wanted her to see. And, and after meeting him, I knew why. Because he took the time, he laid it out, and he didn't say what Gracie needed to do, you should do this, and I do this, and this. I mean, he, it wasn't that declarative. It was, in my experience, this is what I've seen. And here's what I'm concerned about. Here's what troubles me. Here's what I feel is a safer route. And then Gracie asked the absolute best question. She said, she looked at him straight in the eye. She said, look, if I was your wife, what would you do? And again, just incredibly gracious, a very humble man. You know, he's good at what he does. He wouldn't have the position that he does, but he didn't have to wear it out on his sleeve. Like I've seen so many others do. He commanded respect. He didn't demand it. He commanded respect. And afterwards, we prayed with him. 
I asked him, I said, do you, do you mind if we pray? And we all held hands in that exam room, the three of us, as I've done with Gracie over countless exam rooms during these decades. And we prayed together. It was, I, I don't know where his faith was. I just asked him if he would, and he prayed with us. And I think that's important to do this. When we go in this, I am not going to go into surgery with Gracie of any kind, of any magnitude, without prayer and without seeking God's guidance and letting these surgeons know that we are people of faith, that we trust in God in this, and that we believe our sovereign God has brought us to them. That's just the way we do it. So Gracie and I left this meeting. Uh, it, was, it was a hard trip for Gracie. I mean, traveling right now is just very difficult for her. And her life is, is challenging on a good day. And she hasn't had many good days lately. But we had to get some direction. We had to close off some of the decision tree and say, okay, here's what we're going to land on. And so we've landed on it. And I expect a call from her neurosurgeon, who is also a very gracious man with Gracie. He respects the trauma that she's been through. There are a lot of great surgeons out there who are just top of their game and have bedside manners that are atrocious, but everybody says, oh, you want her in your corner. You want him to be this. I get that, and God bless them. There's a place for that. I understand the relationship. We're not trying to be invested with them personally and have them over for dinner and Christmas and Thanksgiving. They are there to do their job. This is their job. But there is also that type of physician that you want to have in your corner who respects the level of trauma that you've endured with a chronic pain patient like Gracie, with a chronically impaired patient like Gracie, who has so many different insults to her body that they, they come at this thing with, with humility to recognize the awesome strength that she has to endure what she's endured. And so Gracie and I recognize that this is the journey that God has us on. This is what we, we do. This is our life. But we find that his mercies are new every morning so that we have a situation where we get a doctor who we can both look at and we can hold hands with in an exam room and pray and know that we have that confidence. Okay, this is, this is a, a safe place for Gracie. This is the right fit for Gracie. This is the person that you want to shepherd Gracie through these very painful things. And her neurosurgeon's the same way. And I looked at Gracie afterwards. I said, look, we've got two of the top in their field guys in this teaching hospital, in this area, in this country. And we can rest in that knowing, okay, God is sovereign in this. And he will see you through this. And he will bring people along that will give you good guidance. And the invitation is to trust not just the surgeons, but to more importantly, trust God. Trust God with this. And we're going to talk about that when we get back from the break. This is Peter Rosenberger. This is Hope for the Caregiver. We'll be right back.
think? Is that the right song to come back with after that last block? That's Gracie singing, My Life is in Your Hands, No Matter What May Come My Way. You know, and I, I think that's a perfect song for her to perform. And I told her, I said, look, baby, we're going to get you through this. We're going to get you back in front of that microphone where you belong. We have several songs that are waiting on her uh, that we want to finish up. Uh, one that I'm very excited about her singing, written for her uh, by Gary Chapman. And I'm really ready for her to start singing. We're, I said, baby, we're waiting on you. So she she's eager to do it, but she knows she's got to go through this challenging set of circumstances for the foreseeable future. But um, it is our hope and prayer and expectation that she will come through this and her back will be straighter. She will be in less pain. She'll be stronger and that voice will ring out. So that's what we ask for your prayers for. You know, there's a reason I'm qualified to do this show. There's a reason I'm qualified to write books for caregivers. I've spent time here in this village of caregivers. I say that at the end of my book. I, I reference my friends John and Cindy who've been on this show. They're with Wycliffe Bible Translators. And they don't just show up someplace and start translating the Bible the first day you get there. you got to spend time in the village, get to know people, get to understand it, understand the culture. I've spent time in the village of caregivers. And I understand the challenge. I understand the heartache. I understand the the nuances that grip us and can easily lead us into a a state of disorientation, of frustration, fatigue. Been there, done that. Uh, I have a caregiver support group that I started out here in our church, and last week they all ganged up on me, and they did an intervention for me because they saw that I was struggling. Still do. And so what anchors me? What keeps my focus when I am going through these things with Gracie? As I just relayed in the last block, these are, these are serious, serious things that she's dealing with. And we have very, very serious people who are meeting us in these places to help us navigate them successfully. So how do I stay focused? How do I stay strong? How do I stay rested? What does that look like for me? Because that's the question that applies to you as a caregiver. How do you stay focused, rested, strong, clear of thought? What does that look like to you? For me, it usually ends up back at the piano. Playing through these hymns. And this is one that was written by a guy named Thomas Chisholm. And he was born a poor kid in 1866, I think in a log cabin in Kentucky. Eventually came to trust Christ as his Savior, and he wrote this tune. He became ordained as a minister, but he had really poor health. He he was in poor health for the rest of his life uh, from a young age on, and he was never well or healthy. And he wrote this tune, this, this poem, 
and he sent it to a fellow minister and a friend named William Runyon, who wrote the music for this poem. And Moody Bible Institute had a new radio station, and they asked this guy named George Beverly Shea to sing this song, which he did. Let me head over to the caregiver keyboard. And there was a young student at Wheaton College at the time who heard this on the radio. And he asked George Beverly Shea to sing that as part of his evangelism ministry. And that was Billy Graham. But the guy that wrote it was in poor health for most of his life. He was sick. He had chronic impairments, just like the ones we love and care for. Just like Gracie. And how many of you all tear up every time you hear this hymn? needed thy hand has provided great is thy faithfulness Lord unto me What a hymn. What a hymn. When you are willing to trust God in the midst of very painful things, hymns like this one and many more become even more poignant to us. And when you understand the stories behind them of men and women who struggled mightily with their faith, with understanding God's provision in the midst of this, but they too were willing to see a surgeon in the same way I described seeing Gracie's. They too were willing to pray in an exam room. They too were willing to sing going in and out of surgery because they saw a greater truth, a greater principle as we model the kingdom of God to this fallen world. This kingdom that is invisible today one day we'll be visible, but right now we are the visible reminders, reflections, and testaments to this kingdom, which says that we can have peace in the midst of craziness, which says that we can trust while facing an 86th surgery. The kingdom of God says that we can invite a surgeon to pray with us in the exam room because we are confident of God's sovereignty over that surgery, over that surgeon, over us, over all that's involved. You see, we as believers are the visible representation of the kingdom of God here on this earth. One day, 
It will be visible. Every eye will see it. Every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. But until that time, we are the visible reminders, along with all of creation that is crying out to the glory of God. So that when we behave in such a way that is aberrant to this world, this world says we must be masters of our own domain. This world says that we must be in charge. The world frightens us. The kingdom of God says, fear not. The world says, indulge in selfishness. The kingdom of God says, give, and it shall be given unto you. The world says, it is my life. The kingdom of God says, whosoever shall save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. Quite a contrast, isn't it? And you know, we're not capable of living up to that. But that's kind of the whole point. If we were capable of it, we wouldn't need a Savior. If Gracie and I were capable of going through all that we were going through on our own strength, we wouldn't need a Savior. And how many of you know that it's hard to cry out to a Savior that you don't think you need? One of the things that Gracie and I have learned over the years is that we desperately need a Savior. It's too big. It's too much. As Paul cried out, who shall save us from this body of death? (laughs) It is the man, Christ Jesus. For in Adam all sin, you know, we had one perfect representative in the garden to represent mankind. That's how God works. He has that representative form of government. And in Adam, all of us sinned. People say, well, that's not fair. I I wasn't at the garden. I didn't do it. Yeah, you did. But let me tell you something else. You weren't at the cross. But we had the perfect, the second, the greater Adam who bore all this. And in him, we are saved. That's what that representative form of government means also at the cross substitutionary atonement. He took it on himself so that we can, with confidence, grab the hand of a surgeon we barely know and pray with him and seek God's wisdom and guidance. And you can too. And that is hope for the caregiver. That's where it is, right there knowing that he who began a good work in you was faithful to complete it to the day of Christ Jesus. This is Peter Rosenberger. This is Hope for the Caregiver, hopeforthecaregiver.com. Go out today. Take a look at my new book. It's called A Minute for Caregivers. When every day feels like Monday to learn more about what I'm talking about here today. Hopeforthecaregiver.com. We'll see you next time. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast do not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.